This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Yeah, my electric vehicle was five and a half, six hours late because somebody decided to block a motorway, therefore preventing me from contributing to a greener future so thanks for that thanks oh, I'm the Rene. biggest question yeah. is that, did you get it from cinch <laughs> I, I mean i would you buy a car from rylan well no but the reason i'm asking is because i feel like if you did get it from cinch then i understand why they're such a good fit for palace now because it's a bit like having to deal with the box office isn't it <laughs> You being mean about the box office? Yeah, I'm just saying. You know, very difficult set of circumstances to work to. Some of the, you know, some of our palace support are not particularly reasonable when it comes to. Anyway, I'm uh, (laughs) I'm mucking about, but no, I didn't. It's uh, it's a company car, so um, so uh, another leasing company provided it for me. Is Um, Ryan actually a palace fan, or is he just wearing the the shirt because of sin? West Ham, isn't he? Which is topical. (laughs) <laughs> you gutted, Rylan, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but also feel like one thing needs raising about Rylan as well, that um, I don't think anyone's ever seen him and Giroud in the same room at the same time. <laughs> because I think Giroud's got a little bit more uh, more bulk to him, surely, than, than Rylan. Well, you'd have to have seen them in the same room at the same time to, to contrast that nobody has, so... In my view, there's something. Absolutely, you, you, you could just see a photo of them both. It's all I mean, about the like perspective, though, isn't it? You can't compare from one photo yes. to another. Do you want to? Do you want to start with some some West Ham against Palace um, quizzing? So yeah, I, 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 yeah, I do. Are we yeah. going to have a quiz before we intro? Um, yeah, why, you... not, why not? Why not? Why not? All oh, right, fine. Diff- so it felt like we've had the sort of one-up on West Ham with late winners mm. um, quite a lot recently, but we haven't really. So, um, in fact, the last four times we've played them, we've drawn two and lost two. So we have to go back to 2019, where over the period of less than three months, we had two beautiful 2-1 wins. So we obviously had the IU late winner. Um, yeah away at West Ham. Obviously, it was there. Absolutely loved it. Can you remember who scored the other goal? Oh. Uh, I'm going to do a Mike answer here and just say no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We've got to talk about that, Alisa. So yeah. um, hang on. It, it, was, it was a penalty. Was it? And it was one Patrick Van Arnholt. Oof. Uh, and just, okay. just to give yeah. you an idea of the difference in the team over the period of three years, quite yeah. a stadium goal. Cahill, Kelly, Van Arnholt and Joel Ward at the back. Kuate, Schlupp, James McCarthy, James McCarthy, Wilf and Jordan Ayew. So I think we've definitely got a better team than we did then. Yeah. Uh, I forgot yeah. Cahill even played for us, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't wasn't for too long. He, you know, he was decent with us. To be and, fair, and then the other question, he was, he yeah. was, yeah, yeah. It's just just me and having a drunken 
beer rattled my. Um, the the best late goals against West Ham. So my one was uh, we were two nil down and mm. at home, and we drew two all. That's my absolute favourite one. So Wilf scored on something like the ninety fourth minute where they hadn't they hadn't held the ball up there, and they'd gone two nil up by half time. Yeah, Luca got a penalty back, and then Wilf scored in like the ninety fourth minute of the Homesdale end, and what everyone went absolutely nuts. Um, what's your favourite we- fucking over West Ham uh, late goal? Um, I mean, it, I, because it's a late goal, it, it kind of it kind of ruins it for me because obviously the the best fucking over West Ham thing was um, was at the Millennium Stadium when Chip scored. You know, ah, uh, true, true. Um, that's the, be- the best one ever. The most tears. That one that you talked about though with Wilf um, was that the one where the person who gave the ball away up the other end was Antonio. It exactly well as he did in this game. I'm it, it, pretty it, sure it was Antonio. Right up, right up by the corner flag at yeah. the White Horse Lane end. Yeah, because he, he was mucking about on the ball exactly, pretty much identical. He got to the byline, looked up and thought, oh, and it just sort of chipped a ball across. And then we broke quickly and then Wilf did his magic. Well, um, five years later, mm. he no learned his lesson. No, exactly. <laughs> I will admit to have been reading of, uh, at least one West Ham forum on their match thread just to um, just to take full enjoyment out of it. And they did ruin it a little bit for me because usually, you know, they're, they're talking about how great they are and how they should win it. And then then you get the tears, right? Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I went for the tears. And, and basically, most of them just said, oh, totally deserved. Palace are far better than us. This is embarrassing. And, and that kind of ruined it for me, you know. That is disappointing. They're usually incredibly partisan and convinced they're the biggest club in London. So, yeah. So, oh, what a shame. Yeah. There you go. But yeah, a lot of them said, um, you know, pointed out that Antonio had form for that. And um, maybe secret Palace fan. Who knows? This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Match Report. My name's Chris Hambling and today I'm joined by Mike, Scott and Cara Skipper. Hello. 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 I did surnames this week. How do you feel? <laughs> so formal. Uh, well, I've already had someone this week send a picture from the uh, the other Mike Scott, the Waterboys guy. Um, <laughs> he's like randomly turned up at a gig and did an impromptu set and I've already had pictures going, oh, I didn't know you were playing a gig tonight. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> well, you know, he is at least my second favourite uh, Mike Scott musician. Well, steady on, there's actually tons of them. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, that was the joke there. Because it, do- it leaves a gap for you at number one, but we don't know if it is. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend choosing me as number one. I don't know. I like I like your solo albums, you know. Crazy fool. They're, they're you know they're folksy. That's my that's my thing. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> enough about you and promoting your career. Um, um, I don't know. Don't know what else I've got. So uh, yeah, this week obviously a little bit ramshackle. We've um, we're recording a few days after the event, um, and you'll probably be getting this podcast in preparation. Um, ahead of the Newcastle Cup game, I would guess. Um, so, yeah, we'll, um, well, well, we'll sort of just crack on. Really, we've got some some basic news that I've um, that, I, that I've I've got to chat about. I'm not sure how many of how many of you, if either of you, um, <laughs> have have kept up to date with what's been going on in terms of academy and things like that. And I haven't managed to find. Uh, any reference to the uh, the Palace women playing? So if they have, hopefully one of you will tell me. Um, but um, news for some reason, news this uh, came out today that the Premier League season d- dates for the twenty three twenty four have been announced because the season starts on the twelfth of August um, and ends on the nineteenth of May. So it's the the point being, uh, apparently, in, in announcing this, that it's the first time it returns to normal after the COVID pandemic and obviously the Qatar 2022 uh, World Cup um, this year, which has, has changed things all, you know, beyond all kind of recognition. Um, apparently there's also a mid-season break 
on the 13th to the 20th of January. So I thought I'd share that as news that came out um, today. Um, what, do, what do we make of that? Do we do we make that as is that news? Well, just, just before we go to that, just just picking up, you're, you're absolutely right. There, there wasn't a women's game. There was a, a fairly poor result for the under 18s. Um, yeah, I saw. Yeah, they had a player sent off, didn't they? Um, but but yeah, Leeds won five two in the uh, the under eighteen Premier League Cup. Um, yeah, so well, yeah. it's, it's not so bad, but because you know the the, the league, they they're basically chasing for seconds, and um, yeah, I, I'm not sure how how much the the league cup's going to bother them in comparison. So yeah, but um. But it was it was like four one at half time, wasn't it? And it and, it, and we didn't go down to um, to ten men till till right bef- just before the break. So I think we were already four one down. And Vontae Williams was given a straight red. Um, so actually, second half drew one one with ten men. So not bad. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, Junior Dixon and, and Adlam Nascimento getting the goals for for Palace, but a pretty heavy defeat against Leeds. But um, yeah, slightly better for the. And and on the fixtures for next season, couldn't really care less at this stage. Uh, that's my that's my that's my input to that. No, no, I just yeah, it just I was trying to work out what the significance of it was, and then I realised the significance of it that we have been kind of uh, bereft of our normal palace routine for sorry season routine for quite some time. So um, yeah, it kind of just brought it into perspective i didn't realize how long it had been since the season was a little bit you know was was undisrupted and went how it should but, um, don't jinx it though yeah. don't jinx it no i suppose they, yeah, anything could happen between now and then couldn't it um <laughs> i suppose look you know worst case probably like the nuclear war thing might disrupt uh the fixtures a little but i think everything else mm-hmm. we can probably cope with right I mean, yeah, I reckon probably the like fixture list wouldn't be the probably the greatest worry if that kicked off as well. We'd probably have a few, a few uh, other things. I, you know, maybe I don't know. Open mechanism. I don't know. It, I'd be fifty-fifty on it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll be. I'll be. This is terrible. Uh, when are Palace next going to play though? Um, <laughs> but there you go. It's the, it's the you know it's the trauma that doesn't get talked about with war, isn't it? Ruining football. Um, anyway, so um, 21's played as well um, at Sellers. It was nil-nil with Leicester. Um, so not an awful lot to talk about there. Missed a couple of chances. Um, but, you know. Except to say great stuff Friday night at Sellers. More of that, more of that, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. So um, I think we can probably move on from there uh, and start talking about the game. I did make myself some uh, some notes because I'm a professional. Don't know about you, um, but I think that first and foremost, any last minute win is a beautiful thing. But it is just made all the more special. It's against um, you know, as Mister Hesketh put it, grown men singing about bubbles. It it just <laughs> it just felt so very 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 special. Um, and there's a lot to like about it, um, Terence made a point in the chat which i kind of jokingly but mostly seriously said writes the show for us this week and and that was the the kind of most dangerous palace players were still on the pitch at the end so you know and 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 combined to score the goal so i i think i do think there's a lesson there and and i i do think that we you know, sometimes we're all we're all desperate to see something change. You know, when we're chasing a game or trying to get a goal back, and we're we're forever saying, you know, Vieira should have, should have made this change then, and you know, bring this person wasn't having a good game, so you know, bring him off before you know after an hour. Don't wait until eighty minutes or whatever. But you know, often the changes that we make are are taking off the attacking players and replacing them with. You know, also attacking players, but but some that are in either have less ability or or in lower form, and just hoping something will be different. So I appreciated the bravery um, of of Vieira's decision to leave the players on. Um, but I guess if I start here, and I'll start with you, Mike, because it was so close, wasn't it? That we talked about it, you know, in in 
prior to recording the intro, we talked about the fact that Antonio had form for this, but it was a break from from West Ham. And if you think about, you know, again, I'm looking at how the box was shaping up as he went wide to cross the ball in. And I think West Ham, to you know, to their ultimate failure, had five or six players running into the box and Antonio just chipped it to Guaita. Um, so it actually could have been very, very different. That could have been the moment we lost the game as well. Yeah, and that's a great point from Terence. So the only sub of the game, and I, I can't remember a time where he's only bought one sub on, uh, was Luca. So first off, we still played well, uh, even though Decore came off, obviously still coming back from um, injury, and then Luca coming on didn't seem like um, that much of an issue, proper like for like, so that's good. He didn't bring Mateta on. Um, obviously, the bigger question, you know, people were asking why he wasn't there in the first place with um, Edward injured, but he obviously made the right call, um, knowing that Palace would play on the break, and that's probably not Mateta's strength. Um, so it's it's a great move from him, seeing that West Ham would be vulnerable um, to the counter attack. But if I bring up what he said, Vieira said post-match, he was asked, if Elise's goal hadn't gone in, would you have been disappointed? And he said, I would have been disappointed, yes, because I think we were the better team. At the same time, I would have to make us understand why we didn't win that game. Even if we won the game, I think we still have a lot to improve on and to work on because we had enough possession in situations to score more goals and to make better decisions in the last third. So... Um, you know, he's maybe looking at it himself and thinking, did we miss out on Edward because of the fact that we we, we squandered what was 15 shots? So um, it's great that Vieira has this kind of self-criticism. We've got a long, long break there because, Cara, you've got your hand up and I was waiting for you to speak because my washing machine is on really loudly. I'm sorry. I thought my internet had gone down. I was sat there checking my internet connection to see if I'd uh, dropped off. Um, no, all I was going to say, I think on the subs thing, um, is that we there was no kind of thirst for subs because I think what we were doing was generally working and it was just kind of looking for that finish, which, let's be honest, we're not kind of, we haven't been great at, uh, well, for quite a while, um, which is I think why we why we do end up kind of swapping the people at the um, up top in the way that we do. But it was working; we were getting chances, and it was just a case of finishing it off. Whereas I feel like in previous games, it's been like we're not getting near the goal, or our shots aren't actually going anywhere near the goal, and that's why the subs have been needed. So I'm not sure how much of it was like a confidence thing from Vieira keeping to the same team all the way through, or how much was it? How much of it was a recognition of? the fact that this game plan was working. The only slight thing I would say as well is that West Ham were terrible. <laughs> so I think we were good, but like I would imagine that we would see the same issues we've had previously cropping up when we play a team that don't play as badly as West Ham did against us on Sunday. So I thought Vieira was brave in the, the choices at the back because, you know, we've had issues with um well i've had issues frankly with the right back position um obviously ferguson's still some way off being fit and they're, they're trying to get him minutes here and there and easing back in and i've just you know as much as i respect joel ward as a footballer and, and as a a player who's given 10 years of his career to palace you know you i've said a million times that the that i don't think he is what we need at Premier League level if we're trying to push to be a you know a top 10 side, which we currently are. So I was pleased to see Nathaniel Klein come back in. Um, and I was sort of reading through some of the forums and some comments on Twitter because we were linked once again with bringing Wan-Bissaka back in, in January on loan from, from Man United, um, which you know obviously would be an upgrade, frankly, on both Klein and Ward uh, and obviously an unfit, uh, Ferguson too, so that makes a you know a lot of sense, if, especially if he's trying to get some games because he isn't really featuring at all. But um, but a lot of people were pointing out of Klein's performances before injury um, and and on his return against West Ham were at such a high level that 
you know, some people actually questioning whether or not that would be a good signing. So, I mean, Cara, I suppose uh, two questions there really for you, which is first of all, you know, how how good is Nathaniel Klein for us, and and does it mean that perhaps we shouldn't be looking in the market for for another option quite so urgently? Um, I think it was great on Sunday. Um, I think we looked solid. I think we had the kind of, we seemed to have that link up all the way from the back um, through midfield and and up front, which I think um, he played a, a huge part in. So, yeah, I think it's kind of, I don't think there's any doubt in um, in his ability in that sense. In terms of does that mean that we shouldn't look elsewhere, I definitely wouldn't go along with that on the basis that you know if he goes out injured then we're left with the same options that um we've been kind of we've had some criticisms of shall we say um yeah so I, I think it's quite a simple one I think it's I think you do both if you can and especially if um Wambasaka uh is an option um then I will we'll always be in favor of of him coming home too so um I say, yeah, we just take it on on both sides and um, get him back fighting fit and, and get Wan-Bissaka in as well. You know, it's never harmful having competition as well in the squad, is it? Don't have to just have one and a backup. If you've got two that are competing with each other, then you're kind of winning on all fronts, I think. Well, now, a question for you both, because I'm not sure it's happened very often. Elise and Ayu in front of the right back, did that help him massively? Uh, both of them, you know, they, they can they can get back and defend pretty well. Neither of them are the kind of player that spends all of their time up the other end. Are, are they the answer to covering the right back, whoever it is, in the meantime? Um, I mean, I suppose it's, I don't know if they're the answer. I mean, look, you know, Elise if he's out wide, can struggle. Are you is a better defensive player ahead of him, and you know, those are. But I, I suppose it's difficult because the, the argument about cover in front of a right back is always going to be a fairly significant one. Um, and, and there are some people who would say wan benefited from what was ahead of him and what was alongside him massively in his emergence as a, as a player, uh, to pick an example. So you can certainly look at... Um, I mean, look, if we look over to the other side of the pitch and you look at, uh, at Tyreek Mitchell and the fact that you know, Wilf's role under Vieira is is a little bit less orthodox out that side. So he, he he's not always getting back when he does. You know, you don't really know, notice Mitchell struggling, but when he's on, on there on his own against two players over there, he can be a little indecisive and, and and struggle to know which way to go. So the the question of cover, Mike, is a really good one. And yes, absolutely. When when those ahead of whichever right back we pick are doing that role properly, um, it does make for a much more solid defensive line. But it's not really... like So with Ward, actually, you know, as a defender, he's, he's very good. Um, more about the kind of last-ditch, you know, wearing the heart on sleeve defending, but he's still a very good defender other than, um, you know, letting far too many crosses go past him. So it's not really the defensive side I have a problem with. It's the going forward. It's, you know, you have to contribute so much more as a modern fullback. And Mitchell has a bit more of a balance around him in that respect you know he's capable of getting forward and getting a cross in and but just Ward's always always one of those who slows down play or has to knock the ball back and you look at Klein again not not the perfect modern day fullback going forwards but he's a bit more confident and comfortable on the ball than than Wardy is unfortunately for Wardy yeah uh, that makes a lot of sense and and I love Klein you know everyone loves Wardy but when Nathaniel Klein came back, I was I was very happy about it. But the fact that you've got Elise and IU, because it's a 4-3-3, not a 4-4-2, so you've essentially got, because IU tracks back so much, it looked at the heat map for the game for those two, and they almost had an identical heat map sort of quite near the halfway line. You've got two guys in front of him, as opposed to having one for the 4-4-2, um, so that, you know, not the West Ham, as you said, did anything to try and beat the trap or anything whatsoever, but um, it just meant that he had he had two people in front of him. So a he's got that extra cover, and b he didn't really need to do that much going forward anyway. Yeah, no, it's it's a point well made. Yeah, I didn't didn't quite answer it how, how I meant how I meant to. I was acknowledging because uh, you know the, 
there was a, a slight shift in in the kind of tactical approach, and it, yeah, you're quite right. It did give more cover, but yeah, I, I suppose where where I'm coming from is that I actually want to see more from Mitchell going forward and more from whoever's playing right back going forward because you know one of the best things that we did against West Ham was, I mean, if you think about the left flank, our left, their right, and what happened to Bowen throughout the course of that game, he spent far more time going back the other way than he did pushing forward to the point where he was completely ineffective. And some West Ham fans have said he has been off the boil this season, but, you know, he, he barely featured in, in the game. And, and I think sometimes it's that old adage, isn't it, that, that attack is the best form of defence. And if you've got those fullbacks carrying the ball, pushing on and, and linking well with the other players... It, it takes the pressure off them having to defend because they you know there's the, the problem ain't really there um so look i i, I think probably we, we'll talk a little bit about the goal we conceded if we can um don't want to spend too much time being negative after such a good win and, and a very very good performance overall but it was a bit of a disappointing goal in, in a number of ways because you no know, it's uh, I, I suppose the strike itself, you've got to acknowledge, was a was a fantastic strike. Um, and, you know, the keeper can't do anything there. And even kind of closing him down is very, very tough. But you have to kind of wind it back a little bit to see where that came from. And, you know, there was a little bit of indecision out on the flank again, out on our, you know, from, from kind of Mitchell and, and you know, a, a plethora of players sort of thinking do that do I cover and do I don't and unfortunately someone who I, I will say had a very good game in my view which was Jeffrey Schlupp but this was something in his game that, that I I see and get frustrated by a lot it's the momentary kind of switch off where he sort of moves into marker space and, and leaves a player and you know he did that he left Paqueta um, completely alone in the middle of the pitch um, and saw him very, very late to the point where, you know, when Paqueta gets the ball and passes it on towards Ben Rama, you know, you actually, you know, if you haven't seen the couple of seconds before, you're thinking, oh, you know, Schlupp's getting it, doing a good job of trying to close it down and has forced him to take to make the pass, and it was a very good ball in. But, you know, he actually should have been a damn sight closer to him a lot longer. And then, <coughs> excuse me, and then the next problem is, of course, that um, Ben Rama has got, the wrong, the wrong side of Jordan Ayew, who is um, who's easily brushed away. So we had two opportunities there to do a lot, lot better before the kind of wonder strike happened. And I suppose, Carl, you fear the worst when you see Ben Rama do that. Um, you know, it, it, it was a you know difficult goal to deal with, really. Yeah, I mean, there's no stopping it by the time he's had that strike, is it? Like you said, the the chance to stop it came beforehand, and I think that's kind of what I was. Um, partly what I was alluding to earlier when I said like it while we it was a well kind of needed uh and exciting win for us to take away but I think it is stuff like that that we maybe will be found out a lot more um against sides that uh, are playing slightly better than West Ham so I think on the one hand you can say like because it was a wonder strike you know we just have to accept that we're going to concede those kind of goals but you know West Ham weren't really getting near goal and their only opportunity to score it was by a wonder strike but another team potentially would have taken that mistake and exploited it by getting closer to goal more time so I think yeah th- those those concerns are there but I think you know then again the way it, the way you deal with going one behind is exactly the way that we dealt with it to come back the way we did so I think on balance not like a huge, huge worry, but like where those mistakes are is probably going back to what Mike said in um, uh, Vieira's post-match uh, uh, press conference, those sorts of things that, you know, if we want to get consistent results, we're going to have to tighten up on a lot more. Yeah, for sure. And and you're, you're quite right about the, you know, dealing with going one goal behind. And let's face it, it's something that we're, we're very practised at. We like to, we like to concede the first goal for some reason. Um, and yeah, I, I will say that I sort of bit tongue in cheek with that because I'm actually really impressed with the resilience that the team shows now. Um, I'd rather, obviously, we didn't concede the first goal, but there's never really, I don't want to say it's like a reaction to going a goal down because quite often we haven't really done too much wrong before it. You know, something happens, we go a goal down. And I like the fact that the approach 
to dealing with that is usually quite measured if we're doing something right in the first place. You know, you can look at the Everton game where we were truly awful and say we did nothing right before or after, you know, the, the first goal went in. But in most other games, I, I think, you know, we we can we can say, you know, we've been a bit unlucky to concede first um, when we've come back to win it. I mean, we've just kept doing the same things, repeating the same sort of methodology and maybe tweaking a few things here and there. But it gives me a bit of confidence because it feels like the way we're set up and the way the players are being told to play and kind of the messages coming from the sidelines must be right. You know, there's belief in the manager, there's belief in the system and the coaching staff. And that really does come across. Um, And look, we're in that period of the season where we do have to win games. We do have to pick these points up. Um, you know, the next two are, are crucial. Um, next two, we've got Forest, haven't we? And Fulham, I think. Yeah, Fulham Boxing uh, Day, yeah. Fulham Boxing Day, yeah, that's it. Um, so those are really, really important games because January onwards <laughs> is really tough. Um, and if we've got momentum, obviously the World Cup disrupts things, but if we have momentum going into January, um, and we're and we're pushing right at the top of the table. It's a, we're it's a different complexion because you can relax that a little bit more um, and really start to try and take the game to to some of the bigger sides um, and see if we can't get a point on here and there and a win here and there. And then that sets us up for the end of the season where the fixture fixtures are similarly kind as as they've been recently. And um, who knows what we can achieve? But you don't want to go into into January struggling um, and putting performance in performances in like we did against um against Everton. Um gotta talk about Wilf's goal. Um it's very funny uh like listening to I can't remember the, the defender's name now it's gonna do my head in. Um but he got absolutely slaughtered because apparently he's made the most um uh mistakes leading to goals in the Premier League this season their um their right back but he got so, he got sold an absolutely awful pass by Dawson. It was a terrible, terrible ball. And he's done really well to actually get a foot on it and control it. He should just let it go out of play. But I just loved the, you know, Eze sensed that weakness straight away. He saw it. He's moving as the pass is in flight because he can see it's been badly directed. It's been missing and it's going to be really tough to control. Uh, seized on it in an instant and nice little ball into Wilf. And, you know, Wilf, the striker in this game, Mike, um, absolutely smashed that one away but led the line and as you said earlier maybe people were a bit surprised not to see um, you know Mateta in there but Wilf leading the line worked really really well and, and that was a proper striker's goal. Yeah I mean it's great to see us put pressure on a back four when they make passes like that um, to me when I, I've re-watched it um, I totally agree like Dawson just seems like he's totally at fault um, didn't didn't really put a second challenge in to, before um, before Zaha got got in line to shoot as well. So if if that had been the other way around, I'd I'd, I'd be much more angry with that than Palace's goal that they conceded. Which you know, it, it, i.e., for example, um, he was a yard away from Ben Rama, but that that's not his normal position, and he was very close to catching up. I mean, this this was just an absolute shit show from them. Um, and, and a great finish. And, you know, he was asked post-match, uh, you know, were you happy to be put in that position? And he kind of said, I, I don't I don't really care where the gaffer puts me. Um, I'm going to put in that kind of performance. And usually that's the kind of thing he'll do on the left wing. So he's taking the skill set that he has in a normal game and just we all know that he's a, a decent number nine as well. And he proved that. And, um you know, just before that, we were watching the game and we'd all predicted a 3-0 defeat. So, he shut us up. Oh, hold on, hold on. Who's all? Because I did not. I went 2-1 Palace, if you remember correctly. Well, I clearly don't remember correctly. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. 
you in. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. <laughs> Trying to throw me under the bus of you and Sam. You and Sam went for the 3-1 option. I was 2-1 uh, two, two all the way. Um, can I just check, Mike, why your memory is so selective on this? Yeah, I just think that Carl was uh, changing history a little. Um, <laughs> all right, so we, you think that's a, an out-and-out lie? Um, what happened? Yeah, after, I, after the claiming. This is the worst thing, Hamba. I gave them both the option. Is it going to end up 3-0 uh, West Ham or 2-1 Palace? And they both went 3-0 West Ham. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. I mean, in a way, they could probably claim reverse psychology. And that's, you know... They and they are the ones. You were the one putting things at risk, Cara, and they were the true Palace fans in that situation. How do you feel about that? No, that okay? no, 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 it's not. No. I just, I'm just right. going to claim the win. I was, I wasn't even going to bring it up. I wasn't <sighs> pushed into this position. <laughs> yeah, there's a reason you weren't going to bring it up, though, isn't there? Lies. I don't. I don't like to show, like, that's all. I just don't like to show off. Mm. Well, look, as someone who is right so much, just happens so often, I, I can appreciate you wanting to to highlight it, Cara. So um, I retract my comments and uh, and I applaud your efforts. And um, yeah, Mike, next time, just show a little faith, please. Exactly. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, so look, great goal from Wilf. Um, I, I just, I really like just how hard he hit it. I just, you know, it was just something really quite spectacular about it. And you know, you could kind of feel that the mood changed in the stadium. But, you know, it was it was nowhere I mean, we deserved far more, frankly. We were we it was embarrassing really to be one nil down at that point because we were so much better than them. And I suppose it's difficult to accept in some ways that it took so long uh for the winner. I've got to ask, um did did I, I suppose a lot of people seem to assume that Elise's strike wasn't deflected and therefore would have been one of the best goals ever scored in history? Uh, it probably, if it hadn't been deflected, it was still one of the best goals scored in history. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I just wanted to bring up what Patrick O'Connor said in the WhatsApp chat because he said that he thought it was the best first-half performance from Palace other than Man City this season. Uh, it's hard to argue. I would probably put Liverpool into that as well. But Yeah, that's a tricky one. I think so, yeah. Um I, it was yeah, it was one of those where you didn't feel at any point like we didn't have our foot on the gas. There was no point where I thought West Ham were in the ascendancy here, you know. And most it's it's, an, it's a football cliche, isn't it, to say that um, you know you're always going to have a you know have to deal with spells in the game where the opposition have the ball and 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 are pressing, but we didn't really have to deal with that. We had to deal with a few breaks. Um, and, and that was about it. Um, I suppose, you know, talking about a few breaks, it would be worth talking about the penalty decision. Um, so what was what was your views on uh, on Antonio? You know, did was it heart and mouth time when you, you know, from when you first saw it? I don't think, I, well, I feel like it's, it's a tricky one because I, I do think that that angle was deceiving, only one of the angles. So from where we saw it initially it was like absolutely no way like what what is wrong with you and then as they showed the more clear uh, angles it became evident but the thing that made me laugh the most was the commentary because the commentators started off being like oh that's a mistake from gay oh what like what a silly thing to do and like really really laying into him and then as it went on and they realized that it was going to be overturned they started kind of rowing back from their initial comments and by the end of it like, oh i can't believe antonio would even try that i was like well hold on a minute you fell for I had this horrible moment where, I mean, first of all, the, the way he threw himself to the floor. I mean, it's, I'm actually really happy. Like, obviously, VAR has been pretty terrible um, of late for, for most teams anyway. And it really does feel like a completely busted flush. But the, you know, what they got right in this particular case was the kind of the the key fact because if you look at it, Mark Gay does grab at Antonio. Obviously nowhere near enough contact to even make a difference. But I suppose the key fact was Antonio's touch was already terrible, you know? 
that Guaita's coming out to, to smother that ball, probably even get there before Antonio can. And the second Antonio realises he's had a heavy touch, that's when he throws himself to the floor. It just so happens to coincide with Gay having a little grab to, to pull him back and then let him go. But the decision to throw himself to the floor came as soon as he had the heavy touch. And you just really don't like to see it. There's no real need for it. And Mo Salah-esque, dis- isn't it, really? It, it really was. And I know, I know Kari, you're going to jump in a sec, but the most disappointing thing was the ref didn't give it until the West Ham players basically shouted at him. He wasn't thinking, am I going to give this? He didn't give it because he couldn't see it. And then he just looked at their reaction and thought, oh, I better blow the whistle. It's a penalty. Because... That's the one of the weakest bits of refereeing I think I've seen, and he had to correct that mistake. I mean, that's just added another question onto the initial question I was going to ask. Initially, I was going to ask you guys if you think should Antonio have been yellow carded for that once they saw it clearly. Um, but then on what you just said, Hambo, I wonder as well was that kind of um, the ref just kind of handing over to VAR because he knew that if he gave it, then it would go to VAR, and then he'd actually get to have a look at it. Oh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure because it. It seems pretty. It, it, it's one of those things that I think we were quite lucky that it, it wasn't given because of that tiny touch from his hand. You could easily see like a, a pretty substandard VAR tech going, "Oh, well, he did touch him," uh, and then, and you, you wouldn't really. I mean, you'd be livid, but you wouldn't really be able to argue. So it's a difficult one and they did get the right decision. It did take up, I rewatched the extended highlights. It did take up a full one third of the extended highlights on the Palace player, just that incident. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Yeah, I I mean, but I, I suppose, I don't know if I, if I know that it would be bad if referees were giving decisions so they could have another look. Um, because what, what I was thinking, so I, I like you, Mike. I had this horrible fear that there was there was enough there to them for them to say, well, it's not clear cut. If the ref's seen it on field, then you know we can't overturn it because there is contact. That was my fear. Um, but so I, I kind of felt like the correct thing to do is to not give it because you don't have to give it for it to be looked at. You have to you, but the, it's the decision the referee makes that that has to be overturned because there's a clear and an obvious error. Um, that phrase that just fills us all with dread. So, But I think that's right because I think if he didn't give it, it wasn't a clear enough one for it to be like, you haven't given it, but it's a, it's clearly a penalty. But if he's getting hassle from the players and he, like, the, the reason I'm asking is not necessarily for like this game in particular, but is that something we're then going to see more of that when the refs feel under pressure with like a penalty decision like that, are they going to be more inclined to give it in, yeah. oh, well, I'll just wait and see if it's overturned than they would necessarily have been without VAR? Yeah, I take the point. I mean, it's, but it's so dangerous, isn't it? If, it, if they do, because... You know, again, it going back to the idea that giving the decision like is the right course of action because because it's a little bit like in um you know in cricket uh, where the uh, Hawkeye system goes you know, defers to the on-field umpire, you know the decision that they made. So it comes back to ultimately, did they instinctively give something out or not out? because there's a margin of error and it just feels like if a referee is making a decision just to have a look at something then they're kind of just they're kind of doing away with the sense of VAR at all not that there is much sense I'm really struggling to articulate what I mean but you know I, I have a lot of trouble with it if VAR has not only got this situation where we're letting humans make mistakes in different ways, but if it then becomes this kind of weird safety net for kind of half-assed decisions, we're we're heading down a really bad road. So I hope the answer to your question, Cara, is not. And, um, you know, and um, that he just had a weak moment and gave into pressure um, and, and it doesn't happen again, you know. But yeah, um, so we can't really talk about Elise's winner, which we kind of did, but we can't really talk about it without talking more detail about Elise's interview after the game. 
Um, and of course, it, it was it was Hesketh whose tweet went viral about it, which um, which entertained me no end. But um, I've you know, in fairness, having watched the full interview, um, the full interview is a little better and explains a little bit about what was going on. But I think we hopefully uh, have a little clip for you right now to listen. Just to. talk us through it. Uh, through what they got. Mm. Uh, I think Wolf passed me the ball. Shot. Scored. <laughs> nice and brief. But it, it, was a, it was a moment that, that captured the game, that won the game. And what's the feeling like when the ball does hit the back of the net? Yeah, it was a good feeling. Do you feel you deserved it overall? Yeah. So, yeah, um, it, it wasn't the most uh, erudite of interviews, Mike. But do you have a lot of time for somebody who... Um, perhaps is being quite economical with their words um, and is also kind of highlighting the sort of vacuousness of football interviews after a game. Yeah, there's Uh, so many facets to this. So it got retweeted by a few very high-profile Twitter handles and then it, you know, even Gary Lineker retweeted it and they basically said, they all said the same thing, the the best interview ever. Um, and by that, they're referring to the fact that you know, if you go, if you're if you're some sky knob, and you say talk us through the goal, what, I mean, what kind of position does that put the player in? I, I now need to somehow become an author that can eruditely explain like the, the the beautiful moment where I scored a goal. It's just like, well, no, he's a footballer. But more than that, loads of people are like, well, it's just it was just really arrogant. It was just horrible. It's, it's like no, we we've seen Elise before. Like he he's come out of the entrance by the glaziers to be mobbed, and he's like a rabbit in headlights. People made a good point, and they said, from what I can see from that footage, he's probably on the spectrum. And you know, I'm sure people would take offence to that. Some wouldn't. Some would understand it. It's a great point. If he is, then that is him trying to do his absolute best to make his point and it's very right for people to bring that up so we don't know the background but we do know that he's not somebody that seeks the limelight chats loads like he's he's a quiet guy and you know sky would do their work and realize that so you know if if they they always try and get certain players interviewed and ignore the others uh, they've made the decision to speak to him he's a quiet kid i mean just people people saying he's arrogant it's just absolute pricks yeah it's just it was lazy journalism and like we see it all the time and they they just rely on like the sports person and a lot of the time footballer that they're interviewing to kind of get them out of a hole for not having prepared any decent questions and it's like I don't see how that's arrogant from Michael Liso's point of view he's like oh fucking hell I just played 90 minutes of football and scored a last minute winner I don't need to do your job for you as well you know I'm going to answer your questions and if you want any more out of me ask me a question that has a different answer. Like, I kind of think that's fair enough. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Vieira said um, after the game, he said that um, about Michael Lisa, he said, he's the person, sorry, he is the person he is. He's not playing a game. This is Michael. He answered the question with honesty. I don't see anything wrong with that interview. And that's pretty much bang on, isn't it? Like, And Mike, as you say, there's, you know, there, there could be all manner of reasons why he is uh, answering that the way he he does, you know. Again, some people have, I've heard that said a few times, you know, he might be on the spectrum or something like that. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't really matter if he is or he isn't. Everybody has the the kind of right to be how they want to be. But one thing it definitely isn't is arrogance. You can see that from his face. There's no, not even a hint of arrogance in it. He's being asked a question and he's answering it. But, you know, if you want somebody to kind of talk about, the goal you have to do a much much better job of yourself and say again as you said mike tell us about the goal you know because wolf passed me the ball and i shot is is exactly telling somebody about the goal you know you could argue that in some cases you know he could have said he could have talked about when he made his run when he saw the ball how he saw the pitch opening up did he see uh, west ham had committed too many players far forward but you know, he's a he's a young kid playing football. He's a tremendously talented footballer and he probably doesn't really think like that. He was in his position. He was waiting for the ball. 
Wilf passed him the ball. He had a shot. It went in. I think that that's like sums it up perfectly. I think because from that journalist point of view, has he just underestimated or not respected? the amount of things that are going on in those footballers' heads at one time when they are creating that thing. So if you say, like, talk me through the goal, it's like, well, which which bit of it? Like, what? There, there are so many parts of it. Where do you want me to start? From, like, minute one when with how we set up? From, like, my mindset just before I shot? Like, where do you want it to go? And, like, that's why I say it's lazy journalism because he's done no thought whatsoever into, like, which part of it he actually thinks is interesting, which part of it he thinks there's a, you know, is is kind of newsworthy or story-worthy or whatever. He's just gone in there thinking, oh, I'll just ask a few questions and, you know, see what Michael Lisa has to say. And I have no problem whatsoever with whether it's footballers, whether it's anyone being interviewed. If you get lazy journalism questions, then you fire them back the answer to the question they've asked, not doing their job for them because, you know, it's it's just stupid. I just want to note that one of you just got a hinge ping there, I think, in the background. Um, to change the topic slightly... Uh, <laughs> just to be clear, not guilty, okay. not me. Um, just change the topic slightly. Um, the reason he was on the, the able to score that is because it was only the second time in his entire career, Palace career that he's, uh, he's finished the full game for Palace. So um, that's something I, I would have brought up if I was doing some journalism and had done my homework. Yeah, and that would have been a very interesting thing to hear him talk about in, in a bit of detail and you know. But you might not ever get that that detail from Michael Elise and, and so what? When you've got the talent he has and you put it in the performance he is, uh you don't need it. Um and you know, I'd much rather watch the football he plays and than, you know, listen to him ask inane questions. So um but I and I'll just say this, and I want to take this into us talking a little bit about some performances before we before we end the show because you know, it's up there with his most complete performances for Palace. So I think he's learning quite a lot about the defensive side of the game. But it's interesting to kind of watch, you know, a number of players in, in the squad and how, they, how they're having to develop that side of their game without it being dominant. You know, I think we go back to, uh, you know, a period, and I've tried to even avoid mentioning too, too many names of individuals, but, I, you know, take it, take, like just just the one named Townsend as an example, who who joined us as an attacking player and ended up basically as a right wing back, and understandably left as a as a consequence of that. And you know that's where we saw players really not making the best of of what they had and having to adapt to become different players. Where I look at Elise um, in this in this Palace side, and the fact he's being trusted to play central at times as well as wide. It really does show that the the rapid progression that he's having. Um, it really does show that he's understanding the messages that are being given to him. Um, and I think you know he has the potential to. I mean, Ezra at the moment is is just such a good player to watch, and I think Elisa has the potential to go even higher than him. Um, but it's just it's just wonderful to watch. But anyway, um, did anybody else? Um, you know, want to pick out any particular individual performances that that they were impressed with this week? I thought Anderson had another really solid game. A couple of excellent long ball passes that absolutely negated the way that West Ham were playing with basically, you know, kind of two forward lines. Um, he was obviously told to just play the ball over the top. There was a couple of times he pinged it straight to Elise. I think one of them was the time Elise went down for a possible penalty shout. So, I mean, it's, it's almost it's almost not worth talking about it these days because it's, it's such a standard thing. But I uh, enjoyed that. Obviously, as you mentioned, Klein, it's great great to see him back. But mainly, I just, I really enjoyed the IU Elise um, uh, working together down the right wing. And I hope that happens more often. So, I, it's interesting to hear you pick out Anderson because there's what, I, I agree exactly with what you said, but there's one other thing that I would add so what he did, and he he basically single-handedly brought back the block tackle um, in this game. I think he did four or five <laughs> yeah. in relatively yeah. quick succession. Yeah. And I, I, you know, suddenly remembered like my days, you know, like being coached as an under twelve when when someone was like, you know, can you can block tackle, you know, and, and being introduced to what that what that looked like and what that was. It kind of 
kind of took me back a little bit. I was like, that's a bit of a bit of old school defending. It's a lovely thing having a player run at you and you just stick your foot on the ball and they go running off and you, you know you're, you've got it left left on your foot. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I probably exaggerated how often he did it, but but it felt like a lot to me. Um, so, Car, uh, any performances that you wanted to pick out? Uh, I think just to mention Dakure, I feel like we haven't mentioned that much about Dakure. I thought he was brilliant, obviously, before he went off. It doesn't sound like um, whatever knock he picked up is a lasting one, thankfully. So um, hopefully uh, we see him back again very soon. But I thought, yeah, he was just absolutely just killed it, really. But I I agree with Mike. I think that movement um, between Elise and Ayub, but also just seeing the space that Wolf, Ezra and Elise had, I think it just allowed everyone to kind of play the best version of their game and the game they're most comfortable with. And uh, so that resulted in the kind of overall brilliant team performance. But um, yeah, just shout out to Kuro really, because we haven't really focused on him as much. Yeah, um, I kind of regret asking you now because you ruined the last thing I was going to say. Um, <laughs> but fine. No, um, no, I agree with you. Um, I thought I, I will talk a little bit about the fact um, you know his replacement as well. The fact he was replaced by Luca, but um, it, it's astonishing the work he gets through and, and the quality that he quality that he has. I think um, I'll be interested to see how it goes. Whether or not you know, the more he plays, the more he'll be able to kind of re- whether he'll be, ever be able to repeat his kind of intensity for a cro- for the course of ninety minutes without being shattered or injured. I'm not sure because it, he does so much work. Um, but whether or not like that level happens just through kind of repetition and, you know, he gets used to maybe the speed of the game because he's getting better and better with that. Um, but I kind of feel like he's already there and it just might be that he has to try and find a bit of a balance in his play uh, and maybe look to others to get a bit more support as well um, so he can consistently put in 90 minutes because, you know, he, he invariably gets taken off with a with being knackered uh, with a... Uh, with a knock or uh, with a yellow card. And um, I think the more 90 minutes he completes for us, the better. But um, just an absolutely tremendous footballer. I think it's definitely the the key to it is other people picking up and not relying on him as much, which I, like, I know he went off in this game, but I think we did see less of the team in general relying on him um, as much as we've seen in previous games. And that's a good thing. So I think that will definitely be the key. And we touched upon it in a previous show as well. Also the key to him not picking up as many yellow cards and, um, you know, teams not just coming on and targeting him to get a yellow early, knowing that he's going to uh, go off or, you know, um, result in a ban. So I think definitely the kind of rest of the team recognising that and and picking it up. But I think, I think we did better at that on Sunday than we have done previously. Yeah, for sure. And and sort of to that end with, with people stepping up, it was interesting to see Patrick Vieira um praising I mean Jordan I we, we you know Mike spoke about and um Vieira described him in a way that lots of us have described him in the past as the kind of player that a manager, you know, loves to have. Uh, you just count on him, he just gives you know, gives everything for the team and that kind of stuff. And we'll continue to give Jordan his props for that. You know, again I will all continue to call for a bit more quality even Vieira was saying you know um that that maybe IU sacrifices that much for the team and it's and it's that he doesn't get more more goals and he's not as decisive as he perhaps should be and I, I you know I enjoyed the fact that, that Vieira used those words because certainly that decisiveness I, I think is something that IU is more than capable of and needs to deliver more often but but he gives everything for the team but uh, for him to pick out Luca I thought was was very welcome as well um because it was really as as again Vieira himself I'll just use Vieira's words rather than my own um so he's saying that Lucas bringing experience and he said of course played against Everton played against Southampton and played 90 minutes did really well uh, and he said this at Everton Luca had a really good game especially in the second half most people remember the ball we lost and conceded the goal but outside of that he had a really solid performance and I believe for someone who did not play a lot of football he did really well for us um, and he talked about the fact that his form is a bit of a dilemma, um, but it's just adding competition to places. But I like that, that Vieira has come out and, and supported Luca because he's a player much maligned for, at times, un- very understandable reasons. But I thought we've started to see a little, a little bit more um, from Luca 
over the last few weeks. And we are going to need him this season, you know, especially if we don't get who we want, um, you know, in, in the January window, because we do still need to strengthen the midfield. You know, Hughes, for whatever we- reason, isn't winning trust from, from Vieira. So somebody else does need to step up. And at that moment, it looks like it's Luca um, getting more minutes under his belt and getting stronger all the time. So um, I don't think we're going to have time for any uh, listener chat or anything like that this week. So, uh, But I do want to take a couple of minutes to, to obviously reference the game that probably by the time we <laughs> release this podcast, at least by the time you hear it, will be very much coming up, if not in progress. And um, that's us playing um, uh, against Newcastle in the fourth round of the League Cup uh, away it's uh, at St. James's Park. And um, Newcastle, a very different proposition this year um you know that they haven't spent like you know man city sums of money to get there as well and and i'll be honest it annoys me i'd much rather be able to look at them um with kind of disgust around their ownership uh, and also look at the kind of unfairness of of how much money they'd spent and all this kind of stuff but they've actually bought really well and and eddie howe um the, the creepiest manager in history has somehow uh, managed to galvanise that team to be producing really high level of performances. And um, I think um, Bruno uh, Guimarche is is an extremely good player for them. Uh, Almiron has found a lot of form. So a little bit to be worried about there with how they're doing. And they're on a, a very, well, fairly substantial unbeaten run. And I suppose a lot, a lot to be concerned about. But if you think about performance we've just put in and the fact that Vieira is talking about putting a very strong team out, I guess there's potential for us to um, to see ourselves as a as a team that should be putting them under a lot of pressure and, and maybe you know getting ourselves uh, um, you know further into a cup run and a, a competition that represents a really good opportunity for us if we can stay in it. So, uh, Mike, your feelings? My, my feelings are mainly based around you just saying that he's the creepiest manager ever. Um, so. I mean, let's take Steve McLaren. Um, let's take as a manager for a little bit. I'm surprised he didn't get caught up in Operation Nutri. Um, what the hell? Okay, uh, that might need that might need uh, some kind of a beep. Mikey, you're going to have to beep either the name or the operation. Um, and then, and then, um, yeah, you know, someone like Sven Goran Eriksson, surely creepier than creepier than him. Um, no, I, I am not confident about this at all. All I will say is that um, Vieira said he's going to put out a strong team and he, he has four cup games since he's taken over. So um, that that's good. But right now, you know, they're on absolute crest of a wave and um, you're absolutely right. They're, they're doing the best with the resources they've got. If he puts out Almer on, then, you know, he's bound to score against us. I, I think I'm happier that we got a point in the league than... That than if we'd lost and then we'd gone through the League Cup, to be honest. Um, you know, you mentioned Sven there um, as a as a creepy manager, and it kind of just popped into my head that uh, during his tenure uh, as England manager, uh, a, f- a friend and I, I grew up in the wonderful West Sussex town of Crawley, um, beautiful place, wonderful scenery, and um, a friend a, f- a friend of mine was walking to come meet me. Uh, in the house I lived at the time, and he walked, said he walked past a, a series of terraced houses, and um, the front door of one of the houses opened, and he to this day swears it was Sven Joran Eriksson leaving the house uh, with a woman who wasn't his uh, partner Nancy Delolio, um, who was you know famously his partner at the time, uh, was leaving a a woman's house. In a fairly um, modest sort of, you know, what we'd say is a two-bed mid-terrace house in the middle of middle of Crawley. Colour I absolutely, I absolutely maintain that this is him hallucinating, uh, and I can't believe for one second that that was something that actually happened. But um, but there you go. Maybe if that was true, your uh, your accusations of creepery would be uh, even more valid. What I feel like, well, I feel like we do need some context behind why you think Eddie Howe's creepy, though, Chris. Uh, he looks like a Thunderbird puppet <laughs> slash uh, Belgian sex offender. Well, we, we also need to give some context about the fact that Cara's quite a large fan of Eddie Howe. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm aware. I'm, I'm aware of this, and it may have been behind my 
<laughs> just bring this up. I will just defend myself and say that was true up until he took Saudi money, and now I find him unattractive yeah. for that reason. But I did have quite a big crush on him up until that point. Yeah, yeah. You don't think he kind of? You don't think he kind of looks like he smells sort of, uh, sort of faintly of like salmon. I mean, no, because if I did think that, I probably wouldn't have a crush on him, to be honest. But, um, yeah. It's not, fairly, fair, it's enough. Not really fair enough. Fair enough. Just, just me then. That's all right. That's all right. Just, just a theory I had. So, um, okay. So, well, look, let's hope we uh, we do beat them. Do, do you think we will, Carl? Are you optimistic for the game? No. Sorry. I'm, no. <laughs> just, I mean, like optimistic in the sense that it's always the Palace way to go into a game that everyone thinks we're going to lose and pull something out of it. Yes. But that, but that's kind of it. Fair. I mean, look, I, I, you know, I, I don't like how well they have been playing. I don't like anything about Newcastle and their project right now. You know, and I, and I use the word project with the right level of disdain. I am. Um, I just want it all, all to go horribly wrong, and that house, house of cards to come tumbling down. But, um, but you know, you just feel like. Uh, that momentum is going to be very hard to stop. I really hope it's us that stops it because, you know, like I say, I think the Cup, uh, League Cup in particular, is a is a really good opportunity for us to do something interesting, you know, for us to, to push to get a trophy. Okay, um, final question then. Uh, you'd rather beat Newcastle on Wednesday and lose to Forest or the other way around? Yeah, I'd rather beat Forest and, and lose in the, in the League Cup. To be honest with you, it was the FA Cup maybe a bit different. I don't know. I'm really, I'm really stuck. I hate that question, Mike. Why did you ask Sorry. that question? <laughs> you, you backtracked pretty quickly. I don't know. I'm stuck on that thing that you know Patrick says that seeing us win a cup, you know, it's just you know I did see us lift the Zenith Data Systems Cup, and I obviously talk about it every day, but um, I just haven't. You know, just a, a major trophy, you know, for Palace is just, I, w- I would like it to happen in my lifetime. Um, and, and I feel like the squad we have, we're, we're as close as we're going to get for a while. So, you know, it'd be nice. Um, you know, there you go. Anyway, so I think we shall uh, leave it there. Thank you very much to Mikey for producing to Mike and Cara for joining me today. Um, thank you to everyone who got in touch. Sorry we didn't read any of it out. It's just been a little bit ramshackle today. Uh, I, I do apologise for that. It's my fault, really. Uh, the preview team will probably be back at some point to look at the Newcastle game and then look ahead to the Forest match, I'm sure. Um, and any other content that you want, you'll probably be able to find it over on YouTube with DR, Patrick, uh, T, Stan and the gang. So until next time, Come on, you palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order delivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.